Oh dear. How is that? Hopefully you can hear me now. Um. <laughs> Stream muted, yay, okay, great. That sounds like we've got that. Um, so as I was, I'll just repeat myself here. Um, welcome to the CGG Debrief. Uh, for my first episode here, um, I have Lycan, coach of SSG, and he has very kindly given up some time on his Sunday for us. Um, so we're just gonna, I, I guess we just dive right into this and um, start with, how about we just start with how do you feel Space Station is from where they started to where they are now? And that, um, your particular team, so this roster, how they've progressed and like how they've found this season um, without obviously sort of revealing too much behind everything, but. Oh gosh, great. This is... This is what happens when you get new audio gear. Um, <laughs> nothing's set up right. Hopefully, we can now hear Lycan. Okay, um, test. Chat. Is it a is it a slow delay? Uh, it shouldn't be too long. Ah. Okay. Uh, yep. Great. All right. Awesome. Okay, so um, I'll go pretty much um back from a year. That'd probably be the best way to describe it. Um, so right before I came on the team, it was it had King Leo on it, and um, they just like pretty much made their mark into the NA scene. Uh, they beat Elevate which Elevate, um, if you remember right, they had just been second place at that that LAN against um, Penta was who got first place. So they were able to beat Elevate and get the third, fourth slot that year. Um, but then right after that season, King Leo was taking a step down. And so the team, before I was a part of it, the, the like kind of mindset was, well, now they don't have Leo, who was their IGL and main fragger. And uh, they had a really good up-and-coming star in Chala, but a lot of people said like a lot Chala's kills came really randomly and like sporadic because he was kind of like a a ranked star mentality player back then. And so they were like, "Well, this team's just kind of gonna fall apart without Leo." And um, when I came on, um, we were able to still that season make third, fourth, which I think was huge for us. Like we didn't have, we just had. You know, Redeemer, Thinking Nade, Chala, Dave, and Trip, and people didn't expect much from us. And we are still able to, like, show that without Leo, that team, like, we can still perform. And I think a lot of it, when I came in, there was a lot of communication issues. A lot of, like, call-outs were made very awkwardly. Um, kind of, like, comms were kind of weird. But we, like, fixed all that up at the beginning of the season. And we were still able to perform. And then after that, we made roster changes for Rampy and Shuttle, and then we all of a sudden became a top contender. Um, we were able to compete with any team. Like, it wasn't, oh, they might not be able to win this one. 
It's like any game that we, we could win any game at any time. So very quickly since I've come on board, we've um, pretty much became one of the teams that you like can't sleep on. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, there's uh, definitely, I've found watching SSG as the season's progressed as a team that I wasn't entirely sure of in at the beginning of the season, but continually impressed and this sort of increasing consistency with sort of quality of gameplay and things like that. So I'm, I think that's sort of a fairly, it seems to be paying off. Um, you said that uh, there was a lot of questions about sort of Chala and his ability or his initial initially like about his ability to fill the shoes of Leo. How has he changed, improved, adapted? Uh, um, point? No, so that's actually a really cool uh, question because Chala's really turned into a whole different player. Like as I've been the coach, he really did. Like if you go back and watch when this team was really good at skyscraper before I was the coach, you could see rounds where all of a sudden Chala would just come up with like three or four kills out of nowhere because he was just making kind of like plays that no one expected. But now Chala's like turned into a very cerebral player. He's very smart. He knows like, um, you know, typically where people will be, like what the defense is required to do when you're on attack. And most of the kills that he gets now are like, because he knows exactly what's going on and not like, Hey, I'm going to try to do something like it used to be called like, Hey, I'm going to go do Chala things. Like he used to say that a lot because like it was a joke, but like, the kills that he gets now are because he like actually um, makes them happen. They're, they're not, they're organically happening because of an idea and not just because, Oh, Hey, I just, I just ran into somebody like I just ran. I don't know why he's there, but I got him. So no, Chala's turned into a, a really, really, really good player. I put him up there pretty much against anyone uh, in North America. And you know, he's one of those guys that when like things get rough and you're like not, you don't have the numbers advantage that you realize you still have a chance in the round because Charles is still alive. So, yeah, there's definitely been some moments this season where it sort of pulled everything back together. Um, so, I suppose, how would you describe your style of coaching? This is something that. Um, because we've seen, I've seen, I suppose I've seen, but not had the opportunity to ask, uh, um, many coaches, but like how they interact with their teams is often quite an interesting sort of dynamic. So, yeah. So, um, how I kind of like to do it is I like to be, um, essentially like a steroid to what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So if, if you have this idea, um, I like to take what your idea is and then make it better. I don't, my big thing is always as a player, I always felt that players didn't perform as well on my team if they weren't comfortable with what the strat was. So a lot of times we'll like kind of all come together with like different things and uh, they'll say, well, okay, that's a really good idea, but I really want to do this. And then, I'll take that and I'll be like, okay, perfect. We can do that as long as, you, you know, we do X, Y, and Z. 
and we can kind of like come up with strats from there. So I'm a kind of, I'm a person that wants to make sure that they do what they want to do, but we do it the right way. So if that's like an easy way to explain it, I don't like necessarily just um, taking everything has to be done my way. So a really good example was this week, um, I wanted them to ban um, Clash, but last minute they really, really wanted to ban, they ended up banning Echo. So it was kind of like, okay, we didn't game plan for that, but like, that's what you guys want to do. I want to make you the most comfortable. Like these are the things that we need to do. And it didn't end up working for us. We did end up losing. Um, but I'm not, I don't want to be the coach that uh, doesn't let them do what they want. Yeah. So. Sort of a guiding sort of figure. Rather yeah. Than like, a, a, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, trying to sort of dictate how things work. Um, uh, you've obviously played Pro League and Challenger League and how was, has that experience shaped your approach now? I sort of want to dive into some of the, the sort of past here and, um, and then Sure, yeah, there. of course um, Yeah, I played Pro League for a long time uh, in the beginning of the game um, I ended up Playing in Challenger League, uh, we had like a really big, I don't know if you remember or if you're on the scene when it happened, but um, we had a big like roster issue with ESL, which crushed us and sent us down to Challenger League. And that's the reason why I was in Challenger League the last two seasons before I became a coach. But like I said, like the, the whole reason why I'm the coach, I coach the way I do coach is because of my experience with this game. Um, in particular, uh, it's it's a different, it's a big, it's a really different game than all the other games that I've ever played. And the fact that, you know, you it's a shooter, but at the same time, it's a MOBA. So it's and I and I played League of Legends before I actually came to this game. That was a game I played before. So I kind of take all my past experiences, and that's why I kind of coach the way I do. But I mean, when I so when I first started playing year one, season one, I was actually an entry frag rom roamer and people don't know that. And and then, like, as I got older, <laughs> I became a support anchor. Uh, and then, like, that's where I kind of like finished before I retired. But I've played every single position there is in, in a, a competitive team. So when when like someone's having issues, I can I can tell each person like, this is what you should do. Like, maybe I can't do it as well anymore. Or, I mean, like, everyone on my team obviously can do it better than I can now. But um, I, know what it, I know what it takes, and I know, like, what you should do. And so that's what, how I try to, like, help them is from my own experience. You touched on starting as a sort of Roma, Fragger, and then going on to that support role. Do you think that's quite a uh, common sort of uh, progression for perhaps someone that is younger and then as they spend time in the scene they see more of the bigger picture in terms of like not so much as being like the top of the leaderboard but the kills are not such a focus they play that more support role and then they sort of play the play the objective more not that obviously that's something that they're not doing when they're fragging and stuff but you think that's a sort of as you mature as a player 
sort of progression or do you think that's just some people do it that way some people start as supports um so like in any game i've ever played i've actually been like the healer mm-hmm. so i'm more of like the support character um i just when the game first came out i was able to frag as well as anybody else and it also helped back then i was actually living in hawaii so i had a really nice ping advantage <laughs> compared to others so um that did help and that was kind of i mean honestly like that's kind of scummy but it's you know it is what it is and so that's a lot of the reason why i was an entry fragger in the beginning was because I could play Ash better than most because I had ping on my side. But um, no, I, I think that most people are really able to find like what works for them the best. I always, my favorite operators are Thatcher and Doc. So that's why I ended up making my way near the end of my career to that role. Um, I, I've always also been a a player that wants everyone else, like I said, to feel comfortable. So the teams that I made almost kind of governed what role I played because the first team I played on, we didn't have like another person who wanted to entry frag. So that's why I entry fragged and we didn't really have anyone that wanted to play roamer. So I roamed and then like kind of as I was able to build and make my own teams um, and they weren't just kind of like handed to me. I actually put people together so that I could play support and anchor. Right. Um, so what were the, you've touched on playing League of Legends before. Was that something that you were playing as sort of, sort of semi-competitively or because there's like, there are a couple of other people in the scene, obviously, that started with things like League of Legends. Um, I got involved in... I was playing, uh, or trying to play competitive Dota <laughs> before I got, got here. Um, so, League, is there anything else that has sort of brought you here? Um, so, League of Legends in particular, I played that while I was in the Navy. So, my Navy... I was on a submarine, and... Um, I can just tell you, for example, one year, you know, 365 days, there was one year that I just wasn't home. I was only home. I was I was out for 200 days. So, like, when you are home, there's no one that wants to play with you when they think that you're going to be gone again. So most of the time when I was playing League of Legends, it was I was playing with my friends or I was just, like, solo duo queuing. Um, near the end, when I actually was also, I was also playing Rainbow Six, like closed betas and stuff and playing League of Legends. I was actually playing like go fours and trying to do like the lower kind of amateur thing. Um, but because, you know, I couldn't put in the time that some of these players were playing. And by that time I was 26, it was like not a thing that was going to happen. I, I can tell you like my probably most successful competitive years were when I was a lot younger, 15, 16 to like 19. Um, I was playing SOCOM uh, competitively on Game Battles, which is a PlayStation game. Um, I didn't start actually playing computer until I was like 20. So um, I, I really liked playing SOCOM, Call of Duty and games like that when I was younger. And I played them all on like Game Battles and stuff like that. So, you mentioned you uh, were in the Navy. 
um, and it says so on your Twitter profile. I was uh, actually pretty excited to sort of delve into that, um, starting with sort of how you got into going into the Navy. Um, if you wanted to start there and then um, how perhaps this translates into how coaching works for you. Sure. No, this is a good story for all you young kids out there. So I was in college. Um, high school was easy for me. I played sports and uh, I went to a very athletic high school. So if you did sports, you didn't have to try, essentially. I mean, I, I, I hardly went to class and took tests and I ended up somewhere around like a 371 GPA in high school. So it didn't prepare me at all for college. And when I got to college, I joined a fraternity and when I joined the fraternity, I didn't go to class. Like I just continued my same way in high school. And it got to a point where the college didn't want me there anymore. And I got a letter saying that I was going to be suspended. And I panicked and I went to a Navy recruiting office and I took the ASFAB score and scored a 98 percentile. And they were like, well, with that, we'll give you a signing bonus and you can be um, a nuclear engineer and go to school for that. So I was like, okay, like signing bonus, I'll take it. It was a $25,000 signing bonus. So, I mean, I was 22 then. So I was like, I want that money. Like that's, that's easy money. So I did that. Uh, so I had to go to boot camp, and then I went to school for two years to learn how to become a nuclear engineer. And I did well enough that they gave me an extra school after that. So I became a uh, chemical engineer. And then I got sent out to Hawaii where I served on the Corpus Christi for four years. And um, as I don't know how well the Navy has helped me to where I am today for that. Uh, I'd say the best thing is just discipline because I was very, I mean, you hear the story. I was very undisciplined uh, when I was young. I just did whatever I wanted. I partied, I, you know, did other things that you're not supposed to do illegally and are legally. And, you know, I, I learned from it. I made, I made really bad mistakes when I was young. And so I'm a, a lot more mature person for it. And um, when people have problems, I can relate to them better than most people can because I did them myself and I'm not afraid to like tell people that I did them. So I think that really helps me in terms of connecting with players that are significantly younger than me because I can tell them, look, look, I did that. Like I was in your shoes and you know, this is the path that, that like your path you're going on. This is where it led me. Like I sure I, I'm a very patriotic person and I'm glad that I served in the military, but I never wanted to be in the military. (laughs) I didn't want, I didn't want to do that, but I, I had to because I screwed up. And so, um, you know, I went through it and now I'm going to college, going to graduate soon, but I'm 30. So, I mean, that I, no one wants to graduate college when they're 30. So it's just, it is what it is. And I'm taking it in stride. Like I, I'm not ashamed of who I've become. Like everything has helped me to this point be who I am today. So, um, but yeah, I think it definitely helps me like as far as like discipline, being on time, like making sure all the guys are, very organized and understand like this today's dry run, we're going to hit dry run for an hour and then we're going to scrim. And then, you know, we have to be prepared for our match and what, what that really truly means to be prepared for your match. 
not just, oh, yeah, we're better than these guys. We can do these things and be fine. But no matter what team you play, like preparing the right way. So it's definitely helped me with like that kind of organization. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. So, some, dropping some serious uh, life advice right there yeah. for everyone. Um, I wish I was more disciplined. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so maybe for four years, right? So that's well, six, six, six years, six years. Yeah. I did two years of school and then oh, okay. four years. Yeah. So you're a chemical engineer, nuclear engineer. I presume that was related to what you did aboard the submarine. Yeah. So I was a mechanical and chemical okay. is essentially what, um, what it was. So. Um, I worked in the engine room. I did like maintenance on pumps and turbines and stuff like that. But then also I took like water samples and stuff from the nuclear reactor and stuff and made sure like none of the pipes corrode or anything like that. Yeah. That's a, that's, uh, I find that really interesting as I graduated, um, what a few months back now, um, as a materials engineer. So corrosion was a big, problem. Oh yeah, I know all about that yeah. <laughs> of what we, I had to study. Um, but it was, uh, yeah. Materials yeah. is a tough class. Yes. I struggled with that. Um, hoping to not actually be a materials engineer and see where this takes me <laughs> and see how far we can go with this. Um, uh, so, and now you're adding software engineer to that. What, yes. what, uh, got you to feel that software engineering was something that you wanted to get into? When I was in high school, um, junior, uh, sophomore, junior year, um, I really, really liked coding. Um, I had a really good teacher and my senior year, he actually left to go start being a teacher at a college. And, um, when that happened, the teacher, we got as a replacement, I really like, didn't like, and it discouraged me to becoming like a, a software engineer. So when I went into college, I actually went as an accounting major. And a lot of the reasons, um, I struggled in college was because I picked the wrong major, mm -hmm. um, halfway, like the, after the first couple of years, then you start doing your major classes. I hated my accounting classes. Mm -hmm. I only picked accounting because I knew I was good at it and I liked math. Like I've always liked math. So I was like, well, I'll just do accounting. And then I started doing it. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to do this. And then I just, you know, then it kind of helped lead. It was kind of like a catalyst to the fact that I wasn't showing up and, you know, doing other things instead of going to class and stuff like that. So, um, when I, I knew I was coming back for the GI bill, I, I knew I had to like pick something that I really did love and, um, I did mess around a little bit while I was in the Navy with some coding stuff. So I knew like 100% that that's something I was going to do. Wow. Um, gosh, <laughs> so many, so many different forms of engineering and the coding, um, uh, trying to restrain myself from getting into that and getting sort of too far off, like, sure, yeah. exciting, right? um, cause for my, uh, sort of final paper I did machine learning in um, and I had to do coding for that and um, so like I did a lot of Python and then I used uh, some Java as well to do this sort of machine learning and um, 
that was probably the only bit of it that really really sort of got my attention so I know kind of what that's like um, it's sort of it's that satisfaction because it's constant problem solving which I imagine you must find that with S with the team as well yeah that's what I mean really what made me kind of fall in love with this game is that it's not just like a shooter where you know you throw mollies and force people out of positions or you you like smoke off the bomb site, then you rush in and plant it, kind of thing. The game is really tactical, and you can't just you can't just like s follow a dry, boring old meta. Like every time, every season, like there's something new, and that's why I say it's kind of MOBA-like, is because you know every season, if you deal, if you watch like any of like you know Heroes of the Storm, League of Legends, Dota, every season when they do their operator changes and quality of life changes the meta the game's completely different like it's either like a tank meta or a bruiser meta or an 80 carry meta like and that this game still has the same kind of feel as you know now with um having maverick in the game it's really kind of come away from the fact that you can trust any of your reinforcements mm -hmm. and you can't really like re rely on the fact that you you know you can bandit or impact trick something because it's not going to work every single time unless you know you're banning Maverick all the time. So not only is the meta different, but I mean game to game, as you remove a Mira from the field, the game completely changes. Like without Mira on the field, no map is the same. So um, like being able to practice different forms of the game in scrims is, is pretty big in this game compared to any other. So. That almost leads into two questions. Um, I'll start with the first one, which is obviously season eight saw Pro League sort of added in like banning and things like this, uh, like si quite sort of significant changes in that way. And then the five sides. Um, do you think, has the, I suppose, has the banning, um, it must have increased like workload because you have to prepare for so many different situations or do you have do you have a more like uh uniform sort of generalized sort of preparation it kind of depends on the kind of person you are mm. um this is also kind of the coach i am that i didn't i didn't even really think about talking too much about is a lot of people when they have problems are like well let's go dry run it let's like go figure out why that didn't work. And I actually don't, I'm not actually a huge fan of doing that um, because of the fact that really you could go into a dry run and come up with a thousand different solutions. And you could come up with a thousand different ways why something won't work. Like, well, you could be bucked from below. You could be bucked from above. They could buck you from the side. Like, So to, to actually tell your team to go get into a lobby and dry run a situation, you could be there for five days. So I don't like doing that because like if you tell like what if one person died before like that part of the strat even enacted now where who's filling in his role and now you still have to do your role and his role because he died there's just too many situations where like so like you have the way I like to preach is adaptability understanding how the map works what your strategy is what your responsibility is and if someone else dies who can actually fill in that responsibility the easiest? So it's not really too much about, and the, the workload didn't necessarily increase, but the skill cap increased. Yeah. To understand that 
on Oregon, if if you're playing a team and they ban Thatcher, why you have to ban Mute? Yeah. Like that, that like that understanding, um, like doesn't really come to people organically. So like that's the kind of stuff I like to teach. Yeah. It's not necessarily okay. Thatcher's not here, so you know what operator are we going to pick instead? It's oh no, Thatcher's gone. We know what they want to pick. So that, that's the kind of stuff that's really important. So not really too much workload. I mean, kind of, because some people don't get it quickly. So then you have to like teach a little bit more, but I think it's more s- skill cap increase. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things, cause you obviously brought up the changes of Maverick. What do you, what are your opinions on Maverick and then clash and how they've changed the meta at this point. I think Maverick was a really cool idea. I think the way that he ended up coming into the game was really bad. Um, sound is a huge issue with him, mostly because of the way that Rainbow Six wanted to create sound. They wanted it to be something where, you know, if they did something down the hallway, you would hear that noise through the door that you're standing next to. And, you know, a lot of games like Counter-Strike, if they're on the other side of the wall and they make noise, you hear it through the wall. And that, like, that's not necessarily something that happens. You hear it technically in real life through the door. So I do get that Rainbow Six was trying to create this, like, real sound scenario. But for gamers, it's really hard because in every other game, we're so used to it coming right through the wall, like right next to us. So it's frustrating at times. And then, you know, when you have an operator that you create like this, if like there's a door that's closed right there, you don't hear the sound. So now Maverick is making holes on the other side of your wall and then quick swapping to his gun and killing you right away. It's just really broken. So I really like the idea of Maverick, but it's really hard to deal with as a defender because you can't just stare at walls the whole round. You can't, I mean... No, like no one, like you only have five defenders. You can't have them all turn and look at reinforced walls. Like they're supposed to be there to protect you in the first place. So that, that um, kind of understanding has been weird to adjust to. Uh, The big thing is like understanding angles and stuff. So I try to teach them like think, think a lot of like where you're standing, just like you would as a drone hole. Like you don't want to go sit on the drone hole. Like, make sure that you're in a good spot that, you know, if something happens that you can react to it. So it does change a little default positions, um, I would say. But I do like Maverick overall. I think he's he's a pretty cool operator. He's a cool idea. I really do like the idea of having more hard breach in the game. Um, kind of how he, like, ended up coming out. I didn't expect him to, like, open up hatches the way he, do, he does. I don't like it the way that he kind of like struggles with hatches. Mm. Um, it's really weird. And I, and I kind of honestly thought that when he was going to be formed, you wouldn't be drawing on the walls the way that you do. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's kind of weird how it all came to life, but I think good idea. And then for clash, I just don't, I don't like it. Uh, I don't like shields. I'm not a huge, I've never been a huge fan of shields. I've never really ran team teams that like shields. Um, if they want to like continue to have a place in this game, like that's not up to me, honestly. And my, my, my only thing is I have to prepare my guys to play the game that's out there. So 
I'm not really too worried about complaining about shields. Um, you know, we just have to learn how to play with and against them. The only thing I don't like with her is you can't reach her. And they're trying to change that with like the patch notes and stuff is like, she slows you so much. And then like you're slowed afterwards that pretty much as long as she keeps walking backwards, you'll never catch her. Yeah. Um, and then, so if you're in a position where you're like a two V three and they have a, a clash still alive, you, you lost the round as long as they play it right. You know, if you get too close, like we saw, I don't know if you're watching, but you saw laxing, they were in a one V two and he got too close with the shield and eclipse was ended up, able to like punch him and then shoot him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he obviously, he made a mistake. He even tweeted out that he made like a big mistake doing that. So yeah, I mean, as long as you play clash, right. It's really hard to lose. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just pretty much how it works. And um, I mean, I think honestly, I wish they would have never released her, but yeah. yeah, it's just one of those things you have to deal with. So, um, you mentioned, uh, when you said, uh, that you've never run teams that run shields or like running shields, my immediate thought was Latin America, because you've got some amazing sort of blitz players, um, like people like sexy cake, Julio, um, and then I started sort of this whole little train of thought comes along with how do you approach looking at and dealing with other regions because obviously i suppose with north america you've it's more accessible um in terms of ping to scrim against them but there's still going to be some ping whereas it's probably more challenging to scrim across into europe or asia so sure i mean we we have a weekly scrim with we fit we scrim phase every week so like we we do scrim other regions eu is kind of hard you have to do a weekend scrim like during the afternoon so that's you know kind of whatever but um yeah we we, we do play other regions and i never i just meant that i've never played again i've never played a team who had like a montane player like you know sk like mint will play montane and like they obviously this week they they all play clash like they like playing shields and i mean I don't have a like I don't have a problem with the fact that other teams run it because there's ways to beat it, and that's the whole thing of adaptability, understanding like what ops that other teams are bringing. Um, I've never struggled against teams that bring shields because they have one less gun on the field. So as long as you play it right, you can win it just as easy as any other round. And as long as you're banning right and you're prepared for them to bring shields, then it, it's fine. So I mean, other other regions do like bringing the blitz a lot a lot more, and honestly, I I don't I just don't think that blitz is that good. Uh, there's really there is easy ways to deal with blitz, and um, as long as you kind of game plan and are ready for it, then I think I mean I I really do like that everyone runs their own uh, kind of play style because you know then the game doesn't get boring. Certainly, um, it would. Uh, one of my favorite aspects is how there is sort of these independent matters for each region um, and the way each region plays. Um, it would be really interesting to see how um, <laughs> how 
uh, Asia develops as a, re a region, like the whole of APAC, see whether there's, because there are probably like each part of APAC as well probably has their own forms of meta. We've seen some exceptional stuff out of uh, Japanese teams with sort of really bizarre things that one of the most sort of easy to remember ones was that Hibana shotgun at I think it was season seven finals um, from Nora Rengo, for example, yeah. which um, and their play style obviously caught off um, Rogue quite a bit, um, which I think maybe they'd slept on Nora Rengo, but also coming from such a sort of underdeveloped region, that's quite an easy thing to do. Um, so it's really interesting to see um, that sort of adaptability. One of the teams that is sort of uh, praised for their adaptability is G2, or that roster that is G2, formerly Penta. Um, what do you think it is that they are doing right that puts them where they are? I think the thing that they do right, and I'm not 100%, this is just kind of like how I feel, um, mostly because I haven't talked to Shast that much about how he runs his team. Um, but I feel like th them in particular run less strats than any other team in the world. And what I mean by that is they do have defensive setups, obviously, that they go over, so you're not, like, talking about it, um, like, before the round starts. But they're able to move around their reinforcements depending on where the team is actually attacking. Because usually you'll have your setups based on, the, like, the homework that you do. Like, yeah. Obviously, if a team on border likes to attack office, you're not going to heavily fortify over on the box in armory side. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So I think, but mo more particularly on attack, they'll see how a team is set up where their players um, are actually like defaulted into positions, and that determines everything they do for the round. And that's what I try to like help teach my guys because, like I said, I don't like to run dry run attacks. Because what if someone gets picked right off the bat? Now, you that guy had a whole round of stuff that you had assigned for him to do. Now, what does he do? Yeah. Like, who fills in that role? Like, it doesn't make it just it makes it too hard when you're like, well, I have to do what I have to do, and now I have to memorize what everyone else is going to do just in case they die, and it's a lot of stress to put on a player that doesn't need to be there. Like, if they're going to do an office attack, and there's someone that's sitting in that sandwich spot, like where, um, you know, like. I used to call it Canadian. Some people call it sandwich and office or whatever. Like if there's someone sitting there, grenade them and then take the map control. Like, yeah. uh, it's just kind of one of those things where I think G2 adapts. All their strats are based pretty much on how the other team is playing. Mm -hmm. And that goes that, I mean, that's really difficult to do. All of them have been playing since the beginning of the game and shots does a really good job of, giving them as much information as possible to what they're probably going to do. And then a lot of it is on uh, Fabian and, and Pengu's shoulders to carry them through the rest of the game. Because, I mean, Chaz can only do so much. What if they completely remake every strat? Then, you know, kind of like it's hard as a coach to prepare someone for something they've never done before. Mm -hmm. All you can do is say, well, most likely, like, this will happen. So, no, they're really good. They... they um, they've kind of figured out their their niche and like they have 
a very good checklist for things to do on maps they play. And like, that's the big thing that you always have to do as a team is figure out what checklist works well for you. And, and they've, they've figured it out and they've mastered it. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm learning things as well, just from my own individual play. Um, and so with, uh, you mentioned sort of homework and things and, um, things like, uh, how obviously you've said that you don't like uh, forming specific sort of strats. And I imagine um, like the, the sort of fact that you don't focus heavily on dry runs and things like that means that you're not um, as uh, sort of unbalanced as a team when you get unexpected bans, perhaps. Things like sort of the, the unexpected in theory doesn't phase your guys as much. Um, yeah, I would agree. Continue. Um, yeah, no, I mean, the a big thing, too, is uh, not not just always assuming what, like, you think is going to happen is the thing that always will happen. Because a lot of teams, you're like, okay, so they're going to do this, and then they're going to do this. Well, when they don't do those things, does that mean, like, your whole game game plan is thrown out the window and now you just kind of have to like audible on everything on the run so that's why um i like to preach like just the adaptability and being able to say okay so they they did ban glass whatever like we thought they were going to ban lion but they banned glass okay so like that just means you know like we have to be ready for a different kind of game plan so um i i don't think i don't think it's too difficult to um, I think it's more difficult for teams to dry run everything mm. and teams that like to be very, there are players who just like are required to be very comfortable in their role. Like they have to know exactly what they have to do. Kind of like quote unquote be babysat. Um, but to be in pro league, you have to be able to adapt and the good teams can, can do all the things that are required of them without being told what to do. And so being able to like, that's like one of the first things I always tell players, like, what do I have to do to like make it to the next level? I always tell them, learn how to drone right and learn how to adapt. Like, those are the two things you have to do. Just, uh, getting audio uh, recommendations from, from my own guys. Uh, Donut asked a question a little earlier and I was just going to get that. Um... Uh, what uh, don't ask uh, what feature you'd most like to to see on CGG and what you think of the current site I'm going to modify that a bit and firstly ask do you use CGG and if so how so the way that I use CGG most frequently is obviously the stats. Um, I do read articles sometimes when they come out, mostly because of things that might like surprise me. Um, so, uh, what I'm trying to think of like an example of something that hit me that I didn't even know about. I know about a lot of things before you guys will know about them, just because like that's how the inner workings happen, and it's kind of like you know a hush-hush, like, oh, I heard this, oh, I heard this. 
Um, but I will always read the stories, especially too, if they like impact my team. So like when Rampy was going through his issue, you guys posted an article about that and I read it just to kind of like see what it said. So if I felt like I could like add something to it, I could like retweet it. Good weeks. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but stats are mostly um, what I use. And, and it's kind of weird to say that too, because I hate the fact that stats are like, that important i'll tell you my most uh looked at stat would be opening deaths i don't i don't like kills most of the time i don't care that much about and like unless someone like had a big game where you know they go 12 and 1 or something you're like oh dang he like he went off he had a really great game but most of the time i'm mostly worried about who's dying early and how many times did they die early so what now i feel like now that we've sort of established that <laughs> that you look at ccg um which you know i don't think is too surprising considering sort of some of the some of the hard work that um definitely the stats guys do along with everyone else um but so what do you what would you like to see out of ccg at this point um, um, so I'll say that I'm probably not a hundred percent sure on everything that you guys are doing or currently working on. Um, I do like the fact that you're essentially like, I hate to use this analogy, but the ESPN for rainbow six, um, I do like the articles, maybe some like sort of like top um not top because i think you guys do that as well but um like weekly reports on i guess this kind of stuff would is more of what i want to see not necessarily like not my ideas on the world but um more of a, a broadcast where you guys talk about the games and you guys bring on an analyst to actually this is one thing that drives me nuts a lot of times about Rainbow Six is sometimes our analyst work isn't that strong. And so it's really hard for players to get better from watching Rainbow Six because a lot of what Kickstar and Intero do, which they do a great job, a lot of what they do is color commentary. And they do try to throw in some um, analyst, like analytical stuff in there, but sometimes they don't agree with it. Um, sometimes I don't think they dive deep enough into it. And so I would really like to see more of like why things are happening and why that guy is actually there. Like what's his responsibility? Why it was so important that this one frag went off the board. Like that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. And I don't know so much to how it's interesting to other, other people, but that's the thing that I really like about this game and how I think it could make it better is like if people really understood what they're watching when they're watching it. So that almost sort of begs the question, you've outlined sort of uh, the kind of analysis that you uh, want, but that, is that what makes a good an uh, analyst for you in Siege? Um, yeah. Yeah, so um, sometimes you'll see like, you know, some say just a smoke for like a simple example, a smoke making shotgun holes across the wall. Mm -hmm. And then like sometimes they'll be like, yeah, and you know, you see smokes opening up a line of sight and then that's all that's said, but like why, why that line of sight is important 
some people might not understand. And then it's just completely passed upon because you just make the assumption that everyone knows what you know, but most players don't. Like a lot of like the you know, I, I don't know what the breakdown is, but it's only like the top two or five percent that's platinum above. And you know, some players only make those shotgun holes because they've seen other smokes make those shotgun holes. So like why why am I making this? Why is it important? Like, am I supposed to rotate around late round and use those as a line of sight back into the bomb site? Or am I supposed to be into the bomb site and looking through those holes outside of it? Like, I don't understand, like, why they're there. That kind of stuff is what's important to me, actually teaching people as it goes along why you brought a jackal instead of a dokebi when they kind of can do the same job. Like, yeah. one round you brought the jackal, it didn't work, and next time you bring dokebi, like, why did you make that selection? Like, that's what I want people to be able to talk about bear that in mind for future analysis um and i think that's that's definitely something that um getting that across to that sort of information across to the average player and the um those that follow pro league but don't necessarily play sort of at that plat level and things and the, the sort of the fans of the teams that not trying to be sort of not competing in any way not playing go forwards they're just they're playing casuals or so, and some for some people casuals are enough um but understanding why you make those plays is definitely something that um is something that would be really interesting um one feature that i've really wanted to sort of which would definitely aid this is the ability to for the like the in-game client to save match replays so that you can also watch them from the spectator's position as well which would give you that top-down thing where you can see because it's sort of it would be an analysis sort of heaven because you can see the line of sights that they've made and things like that and it's um, it's something that you can see that some more developed um, esports games have managed to add in uh, from my personal experience Dota every single match has an ID and you can search out specific matches um, do you think that would be something that we could see in the future for Siege? I mean I really think that that's something that could be uh, put into the game that would help grow the scene. I can tell you, and I mean, the faces I was making initially was because as a coach, that's terrible. I don't like, I, I really don't want someone to be able to jump into my match, see where every single player is sitting, mm -hmm. seeing where every single vault cam was thrown, seeing where every single ADS was placed. Like that crushes you. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean that when we're talking about something, increasing the workload, that increases the workload because now every single time you play a map, you have to throw everything out because right. someone knows everything that you're doing in an instant. So as long as they're doing the work, which you have to make the assumption that yeah, they are. Of course. Um, but I mean, as long, as long as that is around, that also is something that increases the skill cap because now you don't, you can't just place everything where they, you know, where you want them to be placed everything has a meaning. So if you know a team is attacking office, it's going to be different than if, you know, a team is attacking armory. So those, I mean, those do change where your ADSs and Valkyams and all that stuff go. So you just have to know as a Valkyrie, 
if they're going to take, you know, box side, I have to have like 20 different Valcams that I can throw. Mm -hmm. So that does increase the skill cap. You have to know, you have to understand all of the angles in the game. So I do think that it's something that would be great for the community. It would be something that's great for the pro scene because people would um, have to like really step up their game to play competitively. And uh, it would make for a lot better viewing experience. You could go back and like watch your favorite player and say, I really like Redeemer. You know, he's a solid anchor. I really want to learn how to play Echo and Maestro like he does. Mm -hmm. And then you could actually go sit and watch what Redeemer does all around. But of course, it's got like a negative side. What would be the balance then, do you think? As far as like if the video was put into play? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. so that you weren't obviously sort of thrown wide open in terms of your strats and things, but also so that like you had a tool at least similar in theory to it. I don't, I don't know if there necessarily would be an opening. I mean, you could say that like all the you could make all the gadgets invisible, but that wouldn't matter because once they throw like a flashbang and the flashbang disappears, you know, there's an ADS right there. Yeah. So like, I, I don't know if there's a balance. It would really be the decision between protecting the team strats and making the game better. Mm. And every single time for like most people will choose to make the game better. Yeah. So I, I just initially said as a, as a coach, that would hurt me because it's like, oh, like, <laughs> If you come up with something that's really good, like it's really, really, really good, and then, you know, you only can use it once. Or, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't come back to it, but you would have to have, you know, say like four or five different defaults. You couldn't just memorize one default. You would have to have, you know, A, B, C, what, however you wanted to call them, like, hey, let's run C. So the team, the team would have to understand where each of your walls were, what that meant for your strat, and then they could kind of like then say, okay, we know how they're set up, which if a team is that prepared, they deserve to win. Mm. I mean, that if that team understands four different defaults you have, that's a team that's very prepared for your match. Yeah. That's what I thought might have been a good idea. Maybe has needs some fine tuning. <laughs> um, uh, in terms, okay, so as we're on the subject of features, that could be added into the game, um, not necessarily to change operators or meta, but um, the sort of the menus and things like that. Is there anything that you'd like to have built in extra to the game? Um, built in extra to the game, a way to warm up, like actually warm up, not terrorists that throw flashbangs at you randomly, no matter if you're crouching or walking or anything, they still know you're there. Or bombers who show up like on the other side of a wall when you open a door and blow you up, then you have to wait for the game to reload all back out and back in so you can keep warming up. Or rooms filled with C4. I just like, the, that's it was nice when the zombie thing was out because you could actually go into one of those by yourself and kill like a ton of zombies. And that was way better than terrorist hunt. But um yeah some way some way to be able to just warm up on your own because warming up is not only important for competitive players it's important for all players maybe not like someone who just likes playing the game casually which 100 percent is like i just like everybody to play this game so i don't care like if you only like playing casual just play casual like as long as you know it's like something that you enjoy 
but like the i mean you have to warm up your aim or you're just like going to go into it unprepared right so i mean anyone should jump into a tea hunt three or four times and then play and really i wish they could just jump in and like do like some sort of aim practice and then play but yeah. that's so that's one thing and then inside the game there needs to be some sort of pause feature like some sort of way to like fix how long it takes to rehost games because all the rehosts that always it, it kills viewership. Mm. People don't want to stick around and wait for you to rehost four times. Yeah. And it's and not only that, but it's frustrating for players. If you got a player who's really hot and doing really well, and he's got to sit through four rehosts, and now he's like ice cold like everybody else, it throws away all your momentum, mm. and it's it, it like breaks your like focus mentally when you're like sitting there having to wait over and over again through five minute timers. It's it's a yes. joke, really. Um. I hadn't thought of that as a rehost feature. One thing um, you, I keep sort of picking up on things that you've said and um, the viewership. I, what would you think of a built in um, sort of live stream feed of pro matches? Uh, if they're going on, people are in the game client sort of queuing for rank matches just on the main menu. Instead of looking at the brand, the newest operators, you've got the pro like the pro scene being played from whatever region, um, probably you'd tear it so that, but you can watch live matches going on. Um, yeah, sorry. No, it's fine. I, I think that's a great idea. I, I would really like that. I mean, kind of like a, I mean, I know Counter-Strike does it. Um, you, and I think League does it too with like their major tournaments. It's like, it's actually on their like launcher screen. Yeah. Um, and there's, I don't think there's any reason why it shouldn't be done. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm, however, they need to set it up between ESL and Ubisoft to make it work. Mm. But because I'm sure there's some sort of rights there because it's not the same company that owns the game and is in running the tournaments. So mm. um, I'm sure there's something that's like behind that. But I know that they do try to like promote it as much as they can with like the little uh, things in the lower left hand corner, like the little ad block. Yeah. So we'll say like match tonight. Yeah. Bloss, blah versus blah. I, I really like, I do like that addition because back when I didn't, I played, it wasn't there yeah. so much. Uh, so at least it's something. But I agree, like it would be really nice because I mean, sometimes players don't understand that there is even really a competitive scene or sometimes they don't know that it could be like interesting for them to watch. And then if they're just sitting there and like, you know, say a five minute, 10 minute queue for whatever reason, uh, they could be like, wow, this is actually something that's interesting to me. Like, I, I actually do want to watch this. And then, you know, you just got another viewer for free. It's free marketing. And for so I imagine there are casual players out there that are really effective casual players who have no idea that there's a pro scene. And that casual player could be the next, you know, Pengu. But we, like, might never realize that there's a pro scene until it's too late to get interested and get involved. Um, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are some sort of diamonds in the rough out there, um, <laughs> waiting to be discovered. Uh, there's obviously been a bit of a rise with sort of things like academy teams. Was uh, there was definitely a young lad whilst I was in Paris. Someone pointed. I think it was a lens. He pointed out to me and said, "Oh, I, uh, I've been sort of mentoring this lad, and this lad was 15, and uh, it was." He like he was in the Market Academy team at the time, 
um, or sort of being sort of prepped to be in like uh, Mocket because he'd been trained for however long, sort of something like 12 months. Um, LMs had sort of mentored this kid. And uh, there's definitely sort of a rise on that, but it's quite a long time from 15 to a pro league at 18. Um, I suppose actually that's a, that could almost uh, be an interesting thing to have your opinion on. Uh, the age of um, like players, it's obviously requires 18 year old to play go fours and play um, pro league challenger, anything, any sort of significant tournament, you have to be 18 with ESL. Do you think that's potentially stunting uh, talent that might develop? I hope it's not stunting talent that's developed. Uh, I know obviously there's people that are uh, under the the 18 like age limit that probably could actually play on certain teams that are pro right now. I've never been affected by the age limit because I mean, I was 26 when the game came out, yeah. so it didn't affect me at all. So I've never really cared either way for it or not because it I wasn't stopped from playing. Um, I understand why. It, I mean, it's it's not a rule. It, it's a law. I mean, yeah. they're they're affected by a law. So it's not they're not choosing to do it. They're just, you know, they're just following a law. So, I mean, it's to me, I see it differently. And I totally do understand that if I was 16, I would be upset by it because also, too, when you're 16, you don't understand really as much like how the world works. So it's kind of like, a, oh, it's it's against me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I do understand kind of like their mindset and probably where they come from. I do hope that they stick around to play the game. I mean, what else are they going to do if they're good at this? Like, you might as well stick around and get that much better. So when you are 18, that you can jump onto a team. Because I can tell you now, when I was playing, it was a lot easier to get to Pro League than it is now. It's very difficult. You have to go through Challenger League if you want to make it on your own. And then you have to beat a pro team on one day. Like, any anything can happen on one day. So if your six months of work turns into... Uh, we lost this one match. Now you got to do it all over again. So it's it's difficult to get into pro league. So if they want to make it, they just got to get better. And I know there's people that are out there that can do it um, already. They just have to wait their time. That's just pretty much what it comes down to. What advice would you give to up and coming talent, man? Uh, the same thing that I mean, I, I think a lot of people would say right away, Get, uh, like most underage players are too aggressive. I wouldn't agree with that. I, I I mean, I do think that they use a lot of their like natural skill um, to create plays more than they should. For instance, I can tell you from my own experience, Yaga, who's a, a player in North America, who's very skilled, who's underage, he'll in ranked, he'll just open the big window in Oregon for like a, a dorms hold he'll just open the big window and fight anybody with an ACOG from the dorm window to the junkyard spawn because he can but i mean when you're talking about competitive you can't you can't just sit there and do that because if you don't win you're instantly in a 4v5 so and i'm not saying that he necessarily does that in competitive but that's like kind of like understanding what your life means to every single round and understanding like what your um 
giving to the team while you're alive and while you're dead. And like, that's a big thing that people don't get right away. What, no matter what your age is. So, I mean, just use that time from when you're, you know, 16 to 18, you got two years to perfect your craft. And as long as you take it seriously, I don't see why you can't, you know, make it to pro league. Yeah. So there's something else I wanted to, I wanted to bring up, um, I think, I think there was one moment earlier where we heard them in the background. Uh, you're obviously, you obviously have a full family. Uh, you said earlier. Did you hear them? Uh, I heard them at one point. Uh, uh, but you you said uh, three boys, and three boys. which I imagine is quite the handful at times. Um, but with uh, Siege, how do you manage that work-life balance? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm actually I'm taking 18 credits this semester, so I'm over full time. And then um, I'm actually working on side projects and then I'm all, I'm a coach. So, and I'm married and have three kids. So um, I tell people that it's not even that hard for me, mostly because of my military experience. When I was um, on the submarine, there was weeks I was working a hunt over a hundred hours in a week. And that was because like, you know, something was broken on the boat and we had a mission and we had to get out on a certain time. So it's, you got to stay at work and fix it until it's fixed yeah. and you don't get to go home till it's fixed. So, I mean, uh, that kind of long hours, I mean, quote unquote shitty week kind of yeah. thing. Um, I'm used to it. I, I dealt with it when I was in the Navy. So, um, now out of the Navy, I'm doing everything that I, I want to do. I like doing it. So now I still have really, really long weeks, but it doesn't affect me because I'm enjoying every single part of it. So I think the big thing I, I would always usher on to people is find find what you enjoy in what you're doing and focus on that. Because, I mean, everyone has shitty stuff they have to deal with. That's just part of life, you know. No one wants to get up at 7 o'clock, but sometimes that's when you have to get up to go get stuff done. So, um yeah, no, the family life is awesome. I love it. Uh, I didn't get to experience a lot of it in the beginning because I was in the Navy and I was gone. So now that I'm home and I get to see my boys all the time, I, I definitely cherish it, I think, more than some because I didn't get to experience it that much in the beginning. Well, I'm glad you've got that as an opportunity now. Um, and so what was other things that I'm sure... Um, I wanted to ask what you made of um, the new version of Hereford and whether you think it is viable as a map. That that face is <laughs> get, tells a thousand words. Yeah, so I I think the new Hereford is actually a really, really cool map. I think it has some of the early on problems that Villa has and like some of the sound doesn't make any sense. Mm. And and what I mean by the sound doesn't make sense is that, you know, we kind of touched on sound a little bit earlier in the fact that um, that some games you can hear sound straight through walls. In this game, you're not supposed to. But for some reason on Villa and Hartford, they like adapted a new idea of sound and like you're like walking and you can literally hear the person right below you like they're walking on top of you. So like some of the sound in certain areas is broken. The top floor is crazy. The top floor is literally a gun free for all. It's just like this complete open site. And 
I mean, the defense just brings like four ACOGs and tries to fight you as you like walk into like the top floor. It's it's actually insane. So, um, if they if if they did bring it into pro league, it would be something to watch. Yeah, and it would be crazy teams that would take you to that map because it's uh, as far as strats go, it's really hard to break down strats because unless you're running smoke strats. The top floor is insane. Like the top floor is literally a long angle everywhere. So, uh, and I think that the the middle two floors. Now I haven't like gone into it like I would for any other map. The middle two floors are really weird. There's a lot of small cornered rooms that I'm sure if you hard breached straight into, like it would completely break down setups. Um, but I'm not 100 percent on that. So the middle two floors are weird, and then the basement's chaotic because. It has two really hard pinch points. And then it's got like one really long quad wall on the side. So if they did bring it in, I think it would be interesting. I think that a lot of teams would be scared to play it though. Yeah. So do you think they will? I mean, you might be privy uh, to slit uh, conversations that sort of answer that question, but... I don't think they will. Yeah. I think that... I think that if anything, they're going to remake other maps as well and probably bring those back in. I'd really like to see them remake Chalet with some adaptation to take to take out K9. Because Chalet could be okay in some parts, but like K9, K9 breaks the whole map. Like th- that perch and being able to see every rotate like completely hurts you. And I'd really like... Uh, cafe used to be my favorite map, but it's so hard to attack that site because your most of your choices for the top floor is to drop the skylight or drop red hatch. And as long as you're playing against other good teams, they can prepare for that. And like, it really makes attacking that hard. So, I mean, the, the whole adaptation was, Oh, well now you can vault instead of repelling in or doing that crazy drop from the skylight. And then people, that's when Ying glass combos were really strong. And so then it was like the real kind of like, you know, AIDS combo yeah. was like you smoked everything, threw Yings in, dropped and planted, and then won the round. So if they could find some way to make Cafe better too, I'd really like to see Cafe come back. Yeah, Cafe, Cafe, I have a bit of a sort of love hate relationship personally. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that I always seem to play it at night on ranked. Um, <laughs> well, ranked cafe is completely different than yeah, competitive course. cafe because, and and for the mostly because of the reason I just kind of explained mm-hmm. is when you're playing competitive, your whole team is working together. So when when your first person is dropping down a red hatch, it's for a very particular reason, mm-hmm. and everyone's working together to make sure that guy doesn't drop die when he enters into cigar. But when you're playing ranked. Even if you're playing with your friends, you're kind of like playing on your own. Yeah. And that site is so hard specifically to like get into and like take any map control when you're doing it all on your own drones. Because at any time someone can slip into cigar or they can yeah. wide peek from white spot and it's cafe cafe is way too hard to play in ranked. I don't I don't even want cafe in the ranked pool. But it might be something that'd be worth coming back to competitive. So that's kinda and Obviously, with the way that the site rotation works at the moment, Cafe isn't viable because it's only got three sites. How? <laughs> so. I forgot about that too. Yeah. <laughs> so the question is, 
I, I, I don't know whether you could, but if you could fit another site in, what do you think would be... Where, where would you put those bombs, I suppose? Um, this is very much like, I suppose, a less serious question unless you have a very serious sort of solution. Because uh, um, I'm struggling to think of something that would be balanced. Well, I, I've always said that the downstairs bomb site would be better if it was just kitchen prep, kitchen grill. Yeah. Like, just take it out of bakery be- or change bakery to not have four windows. The fact that there's four windows into the bakery or three windows in the big door is brutal. Like, you can't sit anywhere in bakery. Yeah. Uh, so just move it back or even make one of them in freezer. But then you have to take out the hatch, I think. So, um, if you just moved that away from the door so much, then like it makes the connector between bakery and uh, kitchen, like kitchen prep, that that little connector room, it makes that that room really strong, kind of pivot point. So that might be interesting. Um, I always kind of liked an idea of trying to like put reading or library as like one of like the sites, but then I don't know where you put the other one because uh, it's yeah. kind of on its lonesome maybe into like the luxury room but that's a really tiny bomb site so that would be hard to decide would you see perhaps uh in the same way that they put construction into clubhouse would you see perhaps i don't know maybe an expansion um out onto the terrace that flat roof um so that there was an additional an additional site added in you just raise the flat roof up or you know, that actually is actually, I mean, that's a cool idea because then now you're talking about having a platform on piano, which then makes it a viable ranked map because now you have a platform that you can sit, you know, a, a player on instead of him being on repels because repels are a lot harder to attack from than if you're just able to, you know, walk angles around a window. So if you added another bomb site, maybe over or added another room instead of the perch being right outside mining, maybe have that have another room that has windows on it. I mean, that's that's a pretty interesting idea, too, because then I suppose you'd be able to you could almost put a second site piano and then that additional room, which would or well, I mean, that would be vertical. It's all hypothetical, so I suppose. Yeah, as well, I mean, I, as well I do think that there's a lot of things they could do with that map. I think they have to do something to be able to make it a worthwhile map. That map used to be decent when there wasn't as many operators, but now that there's so many different operators that can do so many different things, those operators are starting to actually ruin maps. Yeah, it's like, well, this was this was a good map at one point, but now you, you can't play it because of Ying or because of you know whatever the case may be. And is that okay? So is that what determines your like the most played maps um, in sort of pro league? The certain maps are just ruined by those operators. So you tend to pick the the maps that are not ruined as much by those operators. Kind of most of your map picks come from playstyle. Mm-hmm. Teams that are more aggressive and aren't afraid to push are more likely to play maps like consulate uh, because you know you can you can make more things happen and get away with a lot more on you know those kind of maps mm-hmm. so like that's why you know you see a certain team that 
likes to turtle, that's why, you know, they'll go to bank because they can sit down and bank and turtle on that bomb site and really like come out with two or three wins just, just because they, they go there or whatever. So, um, your play style is mostly based on how you like to play the game. And then you bring the right operators based on the map that you're actually playing. So that's kind of like how that whole thing breaks down. Right. Consulate, which suddenly keep, uh, there's obviously been so many changes. I've not had the opportunity to sort of really pick anyone's brains about all of them. Um, obviously we saw the addition of a new sighting consulate. Do you have opinions on that? Um, we've seen some interesting plays. Uh, I think the most memorable is that G2 rush, um, straight down the hatch. So, um, what do you, what do you make of the site and how viable do you value it? Um, I think that the site's actually pretty interesting. I know it's really funny because when I started playing this game, I didn't, I, like I said, I came from League of Legends, so I wasn't like a hardcore FPS player. So I didn't like, I didn't turn off everything but bomb right away. Yeah. So I did play some secure area and I did play some hostage. Um, when the first game came out, like really like all of the December when the game came out and then some of January and I like really started becoming like one of the better players in the central. I played central first before moving to East and the other really good players from central were like, why are you playing all of like, turn, turn those off, only play bomb. And I was like, Oh, okay. Cause I didn't, I didn't know. But before that, so I, I I attacked the archives on consulate quite often when you're playing the other two objectives or the other two game modes. So um, I was used to, you know, patching patching in Visa and blowing up the floor and like playing that vertical game through Visa. So I'm very familiar with those. I'm not going to go into too much into um, uh, what I would do personally to attack that site because I'm going to keep that for myself. Yeah. Um, sure. but no, I, when I saw G2 rushing, I knew it was coming. Um, and I knew that they would do it. There's, um, a drone hole that you can get for the basement that gives you a lot of vision that like you can save your drone easily and get it down there. And they got a lot of vision early and I saw it and I was like, they're rushing this and they did. And they did a great job. Like G2, like we already kind of like talked about is very good at making those quick adaptations. So, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's sort of just quickly going through, uh, see whether I missed anything that I quickly wrote down, but, um, so I suppose I'm now just sort of asking things that come to my head. <laughs> um, I've, this has very much been sort of me picking your brains, of course. Um, what Going forward, I suppose, like the future of Rainbow Six, where do you see it sort of going? Um, what are the things that you really want to see from the game? Um, which is quite a broad thing. So I do as a question, do with it as you will. I'm sure you'll have something. Yeah, I think a big thing. Um, as far as like this game is concerned is understanding at some point what we want this game to look like to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and I do like the fact that they're ambitious with uh, some of the operators 
well, not some of the operators that come up with. I, I'm, I'm, I do respect and appreciate their ambition and wanting to constantly come up with new, new people. Because, like I said, coming from League of Legends, there's new champions that were put out all the time since its release. Like it was like bi-monthly, new, new champions were coming out, and so I'm not um, new to the fact that you know you constantly are coming up with like these new operators and putting them into the game, but. You know, at some point you got to realize sometimes you're doing more harm than good with some of the people that are coming out with. Yeah. Like wall, a wall hack operator is uh, really, really hard to deal with when you're talking about playing a game competitively. Um, so I think that there needs to be, I think to really make this game something special, I think it'll take like an ex-pro player or an ex-coach or something being hired by uh, Ubisoft and like someone that they can trust and listen to to tell them like we can't do this like if you do this it's going to be way too hard to deal with and it's not going to be fun to watch because I don't know like when when Lion came out that the chat was wild I mean everyone was like oh another Lion kill like wow such skill like great gameplay because really it's it was too easy and the fact that you couldn't ban and get them off the board, like it wasn't fun to watch. So it just, yeah. the game has to find like a, a, a some sort of ground where they can actually talk to um, pro players. And the problem right now is that a lot of pro players take advantage of their voice. And it really kind of gets on my nerves is there's players that are really good in this game that are very vocal about what they think the game should be like. But a lot of times their opinions are based solely on what would make them better. So they'll say, well, let's get rid of shields because they don't play shields. Or like, let's get rid of ACOGs because they only play reflex and hollow. And stuff like that. Those kind of things hurt like the improvement of the game because now why would Ubisoft listen to us? Why are they going to listen to us when they think, well, you're only saying that because you just want them off the board to make yourself look better? So that's why I say like they have to hire like an ex player or an ex coach so that like really progress can start being made. And obviously, there's a very vocal uh, chunk of Reddit, right? Uh, commonly referred to as the Silvers, um, which you know they, they in one breath they are the group that says give Yeager back his ACOG. Definitely wouldn't be a good move in terms of balancing um but how would you approach balancing the esport pro like professional player voice to that sort of silver attitude which is obviously sort of a, an attitude that is born much more from players with lower skills um or perhaps they're just higher skills that would really like to have ACOG back on Jaeger so they can crack out it's a kind of like a it's an interesting um dynamic what we've kind of turned this community into uh, like when this game first came out i got on reddit all the time but it got to a point where something something happened at some point where the people who frequent reddit and the like competitive players or or like high-ranked serious players and i hate to even make that divide really but some some somewhere in that they started hating each other. And like now I don't go on Reddit ever because like it's just one of those things where a lot of times people that go on Reddit 
don't they'll just talk poorly about the players who are in the competitive scene and then the people who are in the competitive scene talk frequently poorly about the reddit people on their twitter pages and on social media so like it's created this giant divide between the people who play and watch pro league and then the people who play in it so it's it like it doesn't do anything good for the game all it does is hurt viewership because now the people like what's what's to make that person want to watch it if all you're going to do is talk bad about them on social media it makes no sense so um I, it's really unfortunate what it's kind of t- turned into. I would really like to see some sort of like divide be met and it's got to be done by Ubisoft's like community managers. Justin and Epi really have to find a way to like connect the two pairs back together. And I don't know how you go about doing it honestly, but that's not my job. So I don't have to worry about it. Um, <laughs> but no, it would be really nice because I mean, sure. I, I think I blame, I blame the blitz buffs on Reddit. I do. And I mean, I'm part of the problem there, right? Um, because I'm saying that. But I don't think that Blitz should have ever been put into the position he is now. But the game wanted to be able to connect and reach out to that group. And so to connect and reach out to that group, they made these buff changes. Yeah. And the same with like um, the SMG-11's ACOG. It was really kind of driven by Reddit. It was to take away the pocket sniper's ACOG. And so they, they did that. And... You know, it'd be nice if the two sides can find some common ground. So it's not like we have to either appease them or we have to appease them. Somehow it's we have to make it so everyone is happy with the change. So bring out the pocket sniper and just immediately had me thinking. With the recoil it's obviously got now. <laughs> Would it be yeah, that again? <laughs> um, on oh, yeah. <laughs> If you brought an ACOG on it now, you would have a lot of issues. Maybe that's an argument there. Um, it's definitely... I suppose, actually, that sort of Reddit's role... Um, that sort of highlights Reddit's role in changing the matters as well. Because there are such games, such significant game changes made, it, made so for their benefit. Um, because they've reached out and, you know, pushed for something. And now, like you then see the effects of that with this over, like overpowered blitz, um, uh, or like this blitz being in a position, um, which I is obviously a good thing in some ways um, because it's developing the meta, it's changing things, so it's not too sort of. It, things don't stagnate as much it definitely i imagine keeps you on your toes but then again it's not necessarily for the benefit of everyone um and like finding that common ground is probably probably incredibly challenging yeah one of the um the my biggest problem with blitz is that the 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 way that you counter a shield right you have two options you well three he stands up you shoot his legs he sits down you shoot his hand. The only other way that you deal with a shield is you 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 melee and you like shoot him in the stomach or whatever. Yeah. Well, you can't do that against Blitz. His his whole his whole ability is to counter the way you deal with a shield. So like in that aspect, I believe he's slightly broken because one way that you have to deal with a shield is to get close and punch him, but you can't get close and punch a Blitz. 
your only option is to run away. Well, you can't run away from Blitz. He's too fast. So it's, yeah, I, I just, I have a problem with him in particular um, because of the way he's made. But, you, I mean, obviously you can't still deal with him. Like teams that play Blitz don't just, like, smash other teams, you know. Like you can create counter. You can create, like, cross angles. And if he, like, you know, gets too close, you can't easily punish him. Um, but I mean, another one too, that you can talk about is Tachanka. like granted, like he, he's really like nothing into the meta, but he was, you know, changed for Reddit as well. So there are things that have been done to, um, kind of like benefit Reddit. Uh, there's probably a, a ton of things like the lion nerf finally happened because of the pro league players. So they do have to like fight this battle where they're constantly trying to like, make the pro league players happy, but at the same time, they're trying to make the, the Reddit players happy. Tachanka is an interesting one. Um, obviously, I think, I imagine the aim is to have every operator pro league viable, as well as Reddit viable. I hate that. And, and I'll say the reason why I don't like that, in particular, like I said, from League, there's a, there's a champion called Riven, and Riven if you've played the game yeah. is really, really good in, in solo queue, you can go top lane. You can get like really like a couple early kills and then smash a ranked game, but it doesn't matter in a competitive scene. You don't ever see a competitive player playing Riven because she's not good in the competitive scene. So I do think that there, sh there should be operators that are only really good in rank that never make it to the pro scene. If you're going to be creating all of these operators, there's going to be at some point, you know, 60, 70 operators, every single one of them. I think I'm losing connection. Chat, if you're still there, uh, hit me up in chat. Uh, Might have lost Lycan. Lycan, if you're still there, we're having a bit of a we're having a bit of a robot situation. <laughs> uh, like connections just seem to have died on us. Give it. <laughs> Chat's just going F. Um, give me a second. I'm just getting. And one second, and we're back. Can you hear me? Perfectly now. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I went to like one bar. That was weird. Um. So, Donut said every single operator, and then it cut. So. <laughs> oh, so yeah. I was just that's pretty much where I ended. I was just saying that, like, if you're trying to make like sixty to seventy operators yeah. all viable at one time, it just mm it would make for a very um, wonky gameplay because it's, just, it's too hard to try to say, okay, well, smoke has to be just as good as, you know, uh, frost. Okay. Like it's just, it's too hard to make two operators who do two completely different things equal. You, mm -hmm. you just have to, you just have to make sure that each operator does their job balanced compared to everyone else and 
like sometimes that means that there's operators that won't ever be played. You don't need a sitting turret in a game. Like you just yeah. don't. But like, you know, you might want to play the sitting turret in casual yeah. or in ranked. You might want to meme on somebody, set it up on a window and get a spawn kill. Like those things, those things, you know, can happen. And yeah. that they're part of the game because the game's also meant to be fun. Yeah. But like competitive is serious. It's for money. It's for a lot more than that to a lot of people. It doesn't have, it doesn't need to have every operator involved. I think that is, it's a very, uh, interesting, um, attitude that you have there. And the, like, I'm really impressed with sort of how well thought that thought out that is. Cause you've been instantly sort of converted me to that way of thinking where previously I was sort of of the other thing of, it would be like better to have everything viable. Um, I think except for Tachanka, who I just think is has become a meme and will stay a meme um, as an Yeah, opponent. I mean, the only way to really make Tachanka different than what he is is to change who he is. Mm. And I think that, you know, cer certain people would be upset if you changed who he was because, you know, he is... People like him because he is who he is. Yeah. And now once you change that, you they, they lose that kind of like the Lord meme. And he, I mean, he has a place in the game, right? Everyone calls him the Lord. Like he has his place. So just, just leave him there. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I have to admit, I think we've, we've been live for like an hour and 50. I never asked whether there was a cutoff point. We obviously got, uh, quite distracted. If there's anything you, uh, wanted to bring up in discussion. Um, I'd be, which I suppose is even more open-ended than any of my previous questions up until this point. Um, um, I mean, I didn't really know what to expect. I just, uh, I took this mostly because of, um, and I, I actually don't even really know his name. I just call him Chanka. Um, the first that, yeah, <laughs> the first interview I ever did ever was actually with him when I was a pro player on Onslaught. So I only really kind of took it um, mostly out of respect for him. Um, I don't, I, I'm willing to talk about anything, like, but I don't really have uh, anything in particular <laughs> I came on to talk about. So okay. yeah, I'm just excited to talk about Rainbow in general. How long have you known Chuck? So, that so been... the the reason why I, I met him is probably because of my most hated uh, part of my pro league experience. And that was, like I said, I, can't, I, w I was in pro league and then I met this giant wall of ESL who um, pretty much toppled my career and sent me into Challenger League. Um, and those familiar with esports more outside Rainbow Six are really familiar, familiar with the best are having the three of five rule um, for your teams. And uh, so what happened is um, kind of like this, the system is, was, is different now, but you would go from your season three ending in November and then your season one was starting in March. So there's a giant time space between the two seasons. And I was on ferocity back then and Ferocity, we, we did the Invitationals, and we almost were able to beat ERA to make it to Invitationals, which that would, they ended up in second place to CTM back then. And uh, we 
moved into that next season with the same roster we took to invitationals and they didn't tell us until like the very last minute that we couldn't keep that roster Mm -hmm. because it was didn't meet the three of five rule from our team back in november so then we had to play with like a player that had that quit the game and he he was a player that we we replaced on our team for a reason Mm -hmm. and so we and we so we had to play with them the games just did not work out we did not perform very well and it was during it was the first season that had like the tournament uh, style, and we lost two games and we were done. Yeah. So then uh, I, on onslaught, ha- uh, started playing Challenger League. Uh, we won the first Challenger League season, but lost our relegation game. And then we went through a whole nother season of Challenger League and won that relegation game. So, um, I mean, that was the Ronin team. I would have been a part of that team. Uh, but that's when I got dropped and then I became a coach. Uh, so I've had a, a DM from one of the owners who wanted to ask you about um, the Pro League format um, in regards to a tweet that you made, um, which was, if you win a best of three, then you should have banned the map you lost in a best of one. Therefore, you would have still won the best of one. I'm not defending or supporting best of ones. I just think some of the arguments don't make sense. So, uh, that sounds like it's in specific reference to specific people who have made comments. I'm not expecting you to out them, of course. But um, like, can you explain your sort of thought process and the things, things behind that? Yeah, sure. I mean. I'm not actually afraid to out them because they've chose to do it on their own social media. I'm not doing it because they DM'd me complaining about best yeah. of ones. Uh, but most specifically, Cloud9 and Obey have made a lot of statements about best of ones. And so that's what really geared my tweet was the fact that I was continuously seeing these, like, if, even if they won or if they lost, it was like, it was because of, like, hey, look at this format. Like, this format's the problem when really, mm-hmm. If you if you actually sit down and think about it, that, that that's what my tweet was all pointing out is if you ban the right maps, because I, I don't remember what it was. Cloud9 was playing somebody and they lost the first game and then they won the second two. So their argument was, hey, we look, we lost the first game and but we won the second two. So if we played a best than one, we would have lost. That was their argument. But. Um, oh, I actually remember because obviously it makes sense. So the first map was Consulate and they were playing Obey. And then they ended up winning Oregon and then I think Villa, but I don't remember. I'd have to go back. And But the, the, the Consulate pick was Obey's pick and Obey's good at Consulate specifically. That's why people ban Consulate against them. So yeah, when you play a best of three, you're going to play a map that the other team's good at because they, they want to play it. They picked it. Like they left it in there for a reason. But if you're playing a best of one, you can take away more maps and you should be able to take away that map that they're good at. And it leaves only your map and the decider map. Now that team has to pick between either, like they have to decide which map would you consider your map and which map would be left for the decider map. Which one do they want to go with? So really in a best of one to the best of three, there is, there's no difference. Because if you were going to win a best of three, you were going to win a best of one. Because they're in a best of three, there has to be two maps that you are gonna win. So I just think a lot of people are complaining 
about the wrong things. Like, yeah, sometimes you start slow. Sometimes you lose your map pick. But I mean, I mean, that's at any day. Like I said, we were the, we should have beat that team when I was in Challenger League to go into to win that relegation game. That rele, that team I had for relegations had Bosco and Crazy on it. We were a very good team, and I had very good players on that team, and we lost. The team that we lost to had players from Accelerate on it, which are like performing poorly in Challenger League right now. Like we should, I believe 100% we should have won that game, but we lost. Like sometimes you just lose. And to like blame something other than what the actual reason is, is it's just not needed. Yeah. So this has suddenly made me think of, um, we've seen this uh, notably from Secret and from G2, where they are picking maps to play against an opponent to ban it a week in advance for, against the next opponent. What do you, uh, do you have opinions on this? Do you, um, cause this is a sort of something that is starting to sort of, I've seen it a couple of other times. I'm wondering whether or not this is going to be a trend that starts to happen where people are almost playing this much longer game, um, thinking several weeks in advance about an opponent. Um, so I, I didn't, who who made that comment? Um, so that this was not so much a uh, comment as something that I just sort of thought of, but this is like with Secret and G two in the first half of the season, they the maps that they played the week before they played each other were picked intentionally so that they didn't have the uh, the the other one didn't have that as an open map. Whoops, I've gone out of focus. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay, so if no one said it, um and, and it was just something you came yeah, up with, it's that's a very smart thought. Hmm. I, so we were able to um kind of pick this format a little bit. Ubisoft uh ESL came to us with a couple different options and we we had to pick from those options. Um now I don't know what teams are doing your process and which teams are not um but we are right <laughs> i don't know that's as much yeah. as i can go into of it of course yeah that sounds like um i wouldn't uh <laughs> want to put you in an awkward spot there um but uh yeah it definitely seems to be something that is sort of there's this longer game coming out with um the thought process the rise of I feel like also over season eight, especially definitely been apparent with G2, um, increasingly apparent with some EU teams and, um, but I'm not so, I think some NA teams, but not as many, not high, as high a proportion. Um, the concept of strat hiding as well. Um, G2 are obviously in a very comfortable position where they can afford to do that because they can take more risk in their matches now because they're so far ahead. Um, but sort of, uh, again, like in that first half of the season for that matchup, G2 Secret, um, they both had the, I think they, I think one of them had a matchup against Millennium. So they weren't as in such a luxurious position, but um, the sort of concept of hiding strats in advance and playing sort of more simplistically, this is something that seems to be on a rise. Is that the case? Is that 
do you have opinions on that? Do you think like pros and cons? Um, you will. I mean, it's hard. It's it's hard. It used to be a lot more cut and dry on that answer than it is now. Um, you used to be able to hide things against certain teams because you knew that you were going to win no matter what the case is. Now it kind of feels like EU, and I, I hate to say say it because it's really, to be honest, rude, but I, I hate, like, I mean, teams are getting free wins in EU. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's... I mean, that's just um, honestly that's, what yeah, it is. There are a couple so, of teams that are pretty much a free ticket. Yeah, so, I mean, that is what it is in, the, in NA. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot closer. Now, whether... I'm not going to go into the you know, one region's better than the other. Like that's what, that's what invitationals and finals are for. Um, but in North America, I don't think there's a single team that is willing to risk not running their best stuff on every day. Cause I mean, you can see how close our, our games are. Yeah. And I mean, it might be one of those things where you could maybe like say you're, um, you're winning enough that you want to hide one of your bomb sites. Hey, we're up like four one, like we're finally on defense. Let's just not go to this one bomb site. Let's just go to another one. Like take maybe take the loss on one defense site, and then we can finish up on our two like good sites. If you were to gamble that, sure, good good on you. That's that's very uh, confident of yourself, but. Um, I think in North America, you can't get away with it. I, I would say the only time that you're ever hiding strats is maybe U.S. Nationals. If you're playing a team that is not even Challenger League, why why run real strats? Just run defaults, run cookie stru- cook, cook, like cookie cutter strats that have worked since the beginning of time. And like you should be able to beat them. Like In Pro League, you have to come up with more than that. In, in U.S. Nationals, you probably don't. Interesting. Um, we've actually, so US Nationals is a really good um, subject as well. Uh, and the other sort of tournaments, so there's been OGA, um, there were all of the matches to qualify for Paris. Um, there's obviously been a massive rise in the number of matches that are sort of available, like the videos are available to re-watch of your opponents. How has that changed things in terms of um, in theory, you can obviously prep a whole lot more. There's so much more material to work with. Um, is that increasing workloads? I mean, I mean, what I'm asking is of someone who said earlier, yeah, no, we yeah. You know, like adaptability, no sort of dry runs. So has that changed we, things though, having those, that extra? Yeah, because I mean, even if someone doesn't do, this is one thing I preach too. If, even if someone is uh, running a completely different strat than what you're, you know, you can get what their mentality is. You can say, this guy really is comfortable if he can rotate blue. Like, this guy really likes, you know, to make a play here. He constantly throws, he constantly starts his drones from here. You can get that kind of, like, mentality because players are comfortable doing certain things more than others, and that's the kind of stuff that you look for. Um, You can get, like, all their setups, and, like, you know, if they don't actually change their setups, then you can punish them for it. Because uh, some teams are re- like really think that what they have is good, and no matter what you bring, they can do a mid-round adaptation to beat what you're bringing. So there are teams that will keep 
uh, their strats, which I mean, it's it's all like kind of like what your play style is. Not one way is better than the other. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Like when I played, really, all you did was you brought your best stuff, and then you just saw if it was better than the other team's best stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it you can be a lot more prepared with all the different vods that are out there. So I'm just sort of I'm now sort of jumping mentally because no, I keep fine. thinking of different things. Um, We've seen a number of teams pick up team houses. Um, that's, what do you think of team houses? Um, I think I think team houses can be really good if used right. I think team houses can be really bad if not controlled properly. Um, I mean, there's nothing to get. I mean, no matter what you say. Some of the guys, I always say kids, but really I try to say guys. Some of the guys are only 18, 19, 20. Like they, they want to have fun and live life just as much as they want to play this game and win. So you have to make sure that if you're going to be all living in a house together, that you're taking the time to use it properly. Um, nothing is better than when you can boot camp and like all sit down together and like go over a strat in person. Cause that really cements it when everyone's ideas are being heard. And it's not like, you know, you don't know that one guy is just sitting there like scarfing his face and eating dinner while you're trying to go over a strat. And then you say, Hey, did you get all that? And they're like, yeah. yeah. And he actually didn't listen to a single word you said. So when you're all in person, you have everyone's direct attention. So as long as you use it properly, it can be really good, but it can be just as distracting because if you know your team's having a problem, you don't get away from the problem. You live with the problem. So say Rampy and Redeemer get in a fight during practice. When they get off the computer, they see each other in the kitchen. Like that would be a problem. Like, but you know, when when you're not in a team house, when you get off the game, you're away from your whole team. So you kind of have that like reset. And you can kind of forget about it and like get over it over the day until you see them the next day. So, um, you know, there, there's pluses and minuses to, to it all. I think in the end, if you are a responsible, um, strong team, it's more advantageous than disadvantage. Um, I think those are, that's pretty much everything that I'd sort of thought of in advance to, uh, sort of compare uh spec says a team office with individual apartments is the best solution yeah it would still give you a way to be able to like escape from it all and then you would have a place where you guys come together and still work and focus and you know put the time in i i would agree with that statement i thought of something (laughs) um so apac is a region uh obviously developing, obviously has challenging uh, things to deal with, such as the ping um, to scrim outside the region or just to scrim inside the region because being split into sub-regions, the sub-regions can only really scrim against themselves within their sub-region. So getting the opportunity to scrim against uh, their sort of for the best teams to scrim against the best teams in their own sub-regions, let alone sort of outside the region, is quite a challenge. I'm focus. <laughs> I'm just going to be blowy. Um, so, uh, what are your thoughts on 
APEC and the problems that they face. I do, I do um, sympathize with the excuse because honestly, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be frank that 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 whole reasoning is an excuse. I we can't get better because we don't have better players around us. That's an excuse, and um, I understand it because it is easier to get better if you're playing better teams, but it is not impossible to get better if you spend the time and make sure you do what's right. There's nothing saying that they can't go watch the best teams and look at their strats and say, will this strat actually work against that team? Like, look at what, like, the team did and whether that defense won or lost based on how that good team was attacking. Like, could they do that to our own setup and, and like, actually spend the time to, like, break it down? You could, on your own, get better. It's a lot harder. But... I mean, if you want to win, you got to put in the work. And so, yeah, sure. Other teams do have it easier. Like European teams, I think, have it a lot easier because, you know, G2 is technically the like undef- like the best team in the world right now. And those guys easily get to scrim G2 more than anyone else because they have the same time frame. So, yeah, sure, they can get better quicker because they're playing against G2. Um, does that mean that any team doesn't have a chance at winning? No, because Liquid turned around and won it in the first season of this year. So yeah. there's no reason why other teams can't win. It's just a lot easier when you do play good teams. So I see both sides, but I, I disagree with the statement. So I think I finally run out of things. <laughs> sort of run out of things. Thought of something else. Run out of things again. Um, so I think at... Ooh, just over two hours and ten minutes. Probably a good place to round up. Um, I wasn't given a length of time that I was supposed to fill, so I hope we've. I'm sure we've covered enough. <laughs> I think uh, that we've. Gosh, we've gone over all sorts of things. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, if you guys ever want me back, I'm always happy to do it. Like I yeah. said, I I do. Uh, um, kind of have like a little bit of a connection through Chanko with you guys. So I would appreciate to like come back at some point later on. And also too, I'm not shy on social media. So if anyone like ever wants to reach out to me and stuff, I'm not, I'm not afraid to give my opinion on topics. That's fantastic. I would definitely bear that in mind. We might, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll have you back, uh, because it has been fantastic having you on here. Um, I hope everyone has enjoyed this episode of the debrief and hopefully we'll be back again next weekend with another one um this has been the debrief hosted by myself shevla and we have had the wonderful lichen sharing his thoughts and opinions and a lot of insight i've definitely been a learning experience for me um so Thank you everyone for watching and we will see you next time. Bye. See ya.